Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. Joining me on this episode of The Backbone is Sujeet Kini, Chief Financial Officer at Solium Capital, a company that helps simplify the complexities of equity plan management. Sujeet leads the finance function at Solium Capital. He began his career with Barclays Bank in India and has also worked with PricewaterhouseCoopers in Toronto in their tax practice and has since gone on to work at several high-performing technology and telecom firms. Sujit has led finance departments for both large public companies and startups. He has a passion for ensuring that capital within a business always gets allocated to its highest and best use and using data to obtain actionable insights. Sujit obtained his CPACA designation while at PricewaterhouseCoopers and also has his CPA from Colorado and is a CA from India. And so without further ado, let's bring in Sujeet Kini, Chief Financial Officer at Solium Capital. Good morning, Sujit. Thanks for jumping on the backbone this morning. Uh, we've got lots to cover, so let's dive right in. You've been in the finance seat now for over 20 years, and in that time, you've been a part of some high-profile tech companies serving as the Chief Accounting Officer at OpenText and the Chief Financial Officer at Hootsuite prior to your current role as the CFO at Solium Capital. So talk to me about your journey into tech and how it all started for you. Yeah, Shubham. Uh, firstly, thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. Uh, really excited to be on and uh, uh, appreciate you having me on. So in terms of uh, my journey, as, as you call it, and it's uh, it really started all the way back now, almost a little more than 25 years back in uh, Bombay, India, now called Mumbai, India. So background really originally, I am a CA from India and, and started off my career actually quite interestingly uh, in the field of banking. Uh, my first employer was Barclays Bank in India uh, and then uh, did a series of jobs in, in somewhere, uh, I guess, uh, when I was into to my seventh to eighth year of working. Uh, my wife and I and our daughter was three years old then we migrated to Canada and, and made the move to Canada. And uh, I joined uh, the old Coopers and Lie brand, uh, which is now PwC. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, and then whilst I was at PwC, I got my Canadian CA and, and US CPA and so on. Uh, but what happened uh, was a very interesting opportunity opened up uh, whilst I was at PwC. I was probably in my third, third to fourth year there. I got the... Uh, chance to move into industry into a company called GT Group Telecom. I don't know that too many people would know about GT Group Telecom today. It doesn't exist as a company, but uh, GT Group Telecom was quite the stock market darling in the heyday of the telecom boom. It was one of top mm. stocks on Toronto Stock Exchange. We're also li- listed, uh, we were cross-listed down in the US as well. Uh, and, and anyway, from my point of view, what, what really happened from the point of view of my 
career. This is sort of happenstance, circumstance, and and just a good confluence of events. So there wasn't, if you will, uh, a conscious planning in terms of heading into the world of tech telecom. I got the opportunity. I jumped in. And then, honestly, after that, there was just no looking back because I was just so take, taken in and taken up by the whole world of tech and telecom. Really, the fast-paced nature of the industry, uh, the nimbleness, the commercial acumen of the people I worked with. Of course, I worked in, an, in a junior accounting and finance role, but it was pretty much a role where you rolled up your sleeves and did everything from making sure payroll got paid uh, making sure that there was enough cash in the bank and so on and so forth, but also getting involved with with uh, contract negotiations, getting involved with acquisitions. It was just uh, it was a huge eye opener for me in terms of just what a person in finance can do uh, uh, in industry where the it, it was it was like walking out through a door and then once I walked through that door. The whole world was open. It was it was just a menu of options I could choose from, and I there was no stopping me. I was a young accountant then. Uh, I I just thoroughly enjoyed the working at GT Group Telecom. But really, what opened out for me was that world of tech telecom. And interestingly, that company eventually went into bankruptcy protection, not just because of the company, just because of the nature of in the industry. There was lots of things at a macro level happening in the telecom space there. WorldCom happened, and, you know, all those things happened. Right, right. So, so GT Group Telecom went through what I might call a natural life cycle for a telecom company at that stage. But what it did for me at a at a micro career level, it just exposed me to that whole boom bust and and then again revival kind of uh, business cycle, and it just taught me lots of lessons. But but what it left left with me is that that desire and that that. I'm going to say that strong desire to just stay in that tech space pretty much for the rest of my life, which is which is what I've been doing. And so maybe if we fast track uh, a little bit to to your more recent roles um, at Open Text, again, uh, you know, like you said, not leaving the the tech space. Um, Open Text, uh, a publicly traded um, company, and then you went from Open Text to uh, Hootsuite, uh, you know, uh, another uh, Canadian uh, technology company, not public uh, as of yet. And then now you're at Solium Capital, also a, a public company. Um, and so you know, we'll we'll get into kind of the some of the aspects of private companies sure. versus private companies um, a, a little bit later. But talk to me about some of your more recent experiences and what what gets you excited to be the CFO or, or uh, finance leader in in these large, uh, high growth uh, technology companies. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So what what really gets me excited, and and this is what from a philosophical perspective, this is what I see as being the role as the CFO. I think above all, the the role that a CFO plays, and and most senior finance people play at that highest level, is that of being master capital allocators. And what I mean by that is, uh, companies generate cash from the point from from the point of view of bringing in cash either by via debt or equity or internal operations so you have you you have the money coming in and and once a once you have the money coming in and going on the assumption that one has worked on having the optimal capital structure then really the question that CFOs 
need to resolve for themselves and the, and the companies they work for is how do you allocate that capital? And what I mean by that is in the final analysis, one, one wants to allocate capital to its best and highest use. And, and so what, what it really means is you're, you're allocating your capital to a combination of internal operations, you're allocating capital to organic growth, to acquisitions, and then once you go down that hierarchy, then you go on to uh, doing share buybacks and, and dividends if necessary. But more in, in, more, more in the sort of the day-to-day -day operational mm -hmm. space, it's the first three that are important. How do you allocate your money between internal operations? How do you allocate your money to organic growth? And how do you allocate your money to inorganic growth? So really, there's, yeah, so in the, in the, uh, the, the lens I've used in my career is, is really this concept of uh, understanding from a, from a finance perspective what, 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 is, what, what is the business's core cash flow generator. And, and this is important because the core cash flow generator really brings in the money that quote-unquote funds the incremental operations. It funds the growth operations. And this applies... This applies to private companies as well as public companies. So essentially what you want to do is make sure that you are clear from a business perspective about the allocation of the funds to your core cash flow drivers. And once you've got those ring fenced and clearly demarcated, then anything over and above that is towards funding growth. And a, and a common term that's and a common term that's used in the finance world is optionality. Right. This is the stuff that uh, where you are you are allocating dollars towards optionality. So this is what's driving incremental growth over and above your your business as usual growth or your core business growth. So it's the, the the key is really to make sure that you have enough cash flow that funds your ongoing operations and is the driver for for funding the rest of your operations. And then you allocate your incremental dollar to where there is the highest and best use. And that's the optionality. It's really important not to get it the other way around where the bulk of your dollars are allocated to optionality and, and the lower portion is allocated to the business as usual. Unless, of course, you know, you're an early stage startup where you're going out and you're into this massive land and grab opportunity, or you have that first mover advantage, and, th and those those situations are, of course, a little different. Yeah, I, I like the way you you put that. That uh, finance leader, you want to be the master allocator of capital. Uh, we'll double click into that a little bit later. Yeah. So switching gears now a little bit, Sujit, um, talk to me about your current role at Solium Capital, and more specifically, Solium itself. What does the company do, and what is it all about? So what Solium is, is uh, Solium is uh, quite simply the world's leading equity uh, administration platform. We offer a unified service model and, and we offer a global platform. Uh, and, the way, and the way our product functions is there, there, is, uh, there is a core platform uh, which provides equity administration services. And, and, and over, on, on top of that platform, there's a menu of options where our customers can choose, choose, and and decide what are the additional modules that that they they want to add on to the to the uh, to the equity management platform. So typically, what our customers do is they uh, on the platform they they 
they they go they go they go with the module that provides plan administration they go with the module that provides what we call expense accounting which is the financial reporting piece uh, and then they also go with the module that provides the participant experience which is essentially the ability uh, for the employees of our customers to to uh, participate on the platform go and look at their go and look at their uh, their transactions uh, as well as trade on the platform uh, additionally yeah additionally our what what we really offer is an ecosystem so we offer an ecosystem that starts all the way with early stage companies going up the scale to private private companies so these are pre ipo companies uh, and then we also function quite heavily in the post ipo space uh, so that's public companies and large global companies uh from a from a from a service perspective we have four gl- global operating centers uh one here in calgary uh another down in tempe in in the us uh also in london england and in sydney australia yeah so pretty much uh the, our our uh, key our, our key uh from from a customer perspective is this ability to provide a global platform within an e- within an ecosystem uh and we have a diversified customer base and and you know in in my uh, role i've uh, experienced um solium's product uh, without even knowing it actually i was doing a little bit of research prior to this uh, chat with you and uh yeah i in in my uh prior role uh, as an advisor I, I worked with a lot of cap tables for growth and early stage companies who used um solium's cap table management software and uh in my role now i still look at a lot of cap tables uh and uh at uh, Shopify, we use uh, yeah. ShareWorks, which I believe is a Solium product as well. Um, so very familiar uh, uh, as I learned more about uh, Solium that uh, uh, I realized that I've actually used the product quite a bit. So that's cool to hear. No, and that's uh, <clears throat> that, that's great, actually, because uh, the and I'm glad you talked about the cap table management product. And this was uh, this was a product that we acquired uh, fairly recently via an acquisition and and the importance of something like cap tables management for us is it goes back to the whole concept of the ecosystem and in and having a cap cap table management product allows us to sell to customers uh, in the uh, in in the early, early stage or uh, or small private companies uh, and then as they grow they go from using our cap cap table management product and they graduate into Shareworks, and then eventually, when they get into becoming public companies or so post IPO, they are able to uh, graduate into using Shareworks at its fullest. And what I mean by that is uh, using Shareworks with all its modules, plus the ability for their employees and participants to transact using the Shareworks. Uh, platform very cool kind of offering kind of just uh as 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 you were talking about like a life cycle of a company Mm -hmm. um really starting with the early stage just maybe simple cap table management but growing with the company and its uh equity management needs all the way throughout even post ipo that's really cool uh so 
now I want to talk a bit more about your experiences. You know, based on uh, being in the the industry for quite some time, uh, you've seen a lot of changes within the finance function as it relates to the tools and technologies uh, that are used to fulfill the responsibilities as a mm-hmm. finance leader. So there are a variety of software applications that exist today that make the job of the finance leader hopefully mm-hmm. easier. And things things like Solium, as an example, for managing equity compensation and cap tables are, are a great example. So talk to me about the biggest changes you've seen in the last five to 10 years and how software is helping you fulfill your job as the finance leader. Yeah, great question, Shubham. And, and just uh, contextually, uh, in, you might be able to guess my age by this, but when I started, when I started my career way back, I, I've worked on spreadsheet products slightly before Excel came on the scene. So I've, I've kind of seen that whole grad, graduation of uh, uh moving from literally fully manual accounting systems to uh, spreadsheet-based accounting systems and now into full-fledged ERPs and beyond. So, uh, you know, I've I've kind of seen that whole life cycle, if you will, uh, in terms of how how, uh, software has helped from the point of view of uh, improving accounting. Uh, the what I'm seeing in the last in the last few years, though, is uh, I think for most organizations, it's a given that one should have. Uh, if one doesn't have, it's a given that one should have a robust ERP. That's that's a given. Most organizations would fail if they don't. Second, the the fi- the finance specific software should have the ability to talk to other softwares in your business. So really the interfaces between your CRM uh, and most companies have salesforce.com for instance. And so that ability to talk to your, uh, your, your CRM and the ability to talk to the software that you have for human capital management and so on and so forth. So that, that having that ERP or if you don't have that single instance of any ERP, having the various softwares in your business with the ability to talk to each other is critical. So that, that is the over the last five to ten years that integration of of your softwares that that support your business is uh, is um, is certainly something that's I would say not not just important but a given. The second one is the whole uh, emergence, and I would say not just the last five to ten years, but the emergence of uh software being delivered via a SaaS platform and which is again something that we are as well uh so again i've i've seen um, i i've worked on on premises on prem based softwares and and now pretty much most of the dominant softwares are 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 on cloud and saas platforms so that's that's the other big change and trend that that i'm seeing uh and the advantage of that is certainly from a finance perspective, gone are the days where you needed sort of an army of administrators to be your uh, be your Oracle administrator or your SAP administrator. It's uh, the administration of your software has now moved very much to the user versus having a technical administrator who either sat outside finance uh, if they didn't sit outside finance, they were a finance person who went and learned those skills and so on and so forth. So, so that's that's the other second trend I think, which has been really beneficial from a finance perspective. Having SaaS platforms has 
has just made life tremendously easier. Yeah. And the whole experience is now moved to the user. The user can, uh, I'll, I'll just add it, anecdotally describe, uh, again, going back to the company I talked about, GT Group Telecom. I remember when we were implementing Oracle there, my myself, uh, I, w- I was a mid-level controller, but myself and my team, we went through extensive training with the Oracle people. Uh, we, we became uh, subject matter experts in, in Oracle report writing. Uh, it, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think we, we enjoyed it. I mean, you know, we, we certain, but understanding that the software and the management of the software and the administration of the software at that technical level was the key to our success. Uh, today's accountants and finance people today in my team at Solium, uh, no one really needs to go off and become an expert in in uh, in kind of the nuts and bolts of NetSuite uh, or adaptive and so on. You, uh, you're really focusing on, on the output. So that's, that's the second trend, which I think has certainly helped from a finance and a user perspective. And the third, which I just quickly wanted to touch on is, uh, this is a trend I'm seeing certainly over, I would say, the last five years. Uh, there is a significant, significant focus now on just the power of data uh, as driving driving actionable insights. Mm-hmm. And this is where I see finance having a disproportionate and disproportionate in an important way uh, having a disproportionate impact on the business. Uh, and what I'm finding in terms of data management is having finance manage that, uh, firstly manage the the whole universe of data. So, it's, so creating your data warehouse or data lake, uh, managing that, that warehouse. And then from that there warehouse, managing the, managing the information that, that gets pulled out of that, data warehouse into actionable insights is, is is an area where I find finance is playing a significant role. And I see that as a big future for finance and the finance department going forward. Right. That makes a lot of sense, uh, especially as you talked about the evolution of, you know, having a lot of the systems now connected. Uh, they, they aren't just one uh system and and silos one of the key things that you want in a finance uh, software system is Mm -hmm. the ability to speak to all the different departments through the the software whether it be salesforce salesforce or human capital management software for all that to speak together and each of those different softwares have different different data sets that it's able to produce so uh, i think your point there is is a a very good one in that uh, there's a lot of data that is now being produced and being able to draw and glean insights from all of that will be very important. So do you think, uh, you know, technology such as AI and machine learning could have a part to play within the finance uh, function and and what changes um, might might that entail for the function? Yeah, so a couple of answers to that question. The answer is yes. Uh, I, is certainly AI and machine learning uh, have a big, big role to, to play. Uh, the question, uh, the second part, uh, the second part of my answer is, what to what extent it will have an impact is is I think the open question. Uh, lots of CFOs and finance people are are still working through that and and uh, and trying to figure out how to leverage uh, AI and machine learning in an intelligent way and in an effective way in the fin- in the finance departments. Uh, because at the end of the day, as in as in finance in finance as in you know other areas which require. Uh, a significant level of judgment 
uh, one one wants to be really careful in terms of how one applies something like AI into what one does. So my, I'm not going to say prediction, but my my thoughts on this is a lot of the routine finance uh, functions and and roles will get subsumed into the world of AI. And, and just to probably get a little more detail than necessary, uh, lots of the roles that revolve around day-to-day routine uh, responsibilities around account reconciliations, for instance, will lend themselves to uh, the world of AI and machine learning. Uh, similarly, a lot of the work that is done by uh, one's auditors, so the, the the work that gets done by the big four accounting t- firms uh, in terms of uh, coming into organizations like ours in looking at the data and getting comfortable on revenue recognition and so on, uh, will th- these kind of jobs would, uh, I shouldn't say jobs, but roles and responsibilities will lend themselves to AI. So when you're processing large volumes of data, uh, which needs to be analyzed for the purpose of determining anomalies uh, and outliers and so on, I, th- I, I see AI getting get, you know, being quite very useful for doing that kind of work. I think the jury is still out in terms of how much or to what extent AI can impact or help on the judgment side of things. And hopefully, I I would like to be able to be able to work in a world of finance where the judgment part part is is something that, you know, us human beings impact. And and I think I I do think that's how it will pan out because at the end of the day, uh, when you go back to this, uh, I I use the term actionable insights. uh, uh, Being able to get being able to glean actionable insights from one's data is something that does require judgment. It does require intuition. It does require a a level of uh, a deep level of institutional knowledge of one's business and so on. So, so I guess, yeah, in summary, I, I, I I certainly see AI benefiting finance from the point of view of taking that, taking the burden of the routine day-to-day tasks of finance departments and leaving us to focus on the value add, on the judgment side of things. So ideally, if we manage it well, I think I think this would be a an bit this this could be a win-win because typically most finance departments, you know, as we close our books and so on, we tend to spend a lot of time on the on the pulling the numbers together and and the prep part. And uh, we we then try and allocate uh, time for review, but but it, it, it tends the the prep time seems to dominate, uh, and the review time yeah. is, is a, yeah. And in the ideal finance department, you want to reverse that. You you really want to be that person that's uh, reviewing the results and making sure that the trends and 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 so on are in line with your expectation, and the pulling of the information should be uh, as automated or if not automated, as uh, seamless as possible. And so what I want to do now, uh, kind of last question before we jump into our quick fire round is, uh, I want to draw upon your your uh, 
you know, experience both as a finance leader for large public companies and private companies. And so uh, knowing what you know now, uh, how would you go about setting up a finance function from scratch, uh, let's say at an earlier stage uh, technology company to ensure that it is ready to go public if and when uh, that were to be the case? Good, good question. Uh, good question. Early stage companies, by definition, tend to be very operationally focused. And not that public companies are not, but what I mean by that is in an early stage company, for instance, and I'm just using this by way of example, in an early stage company, you would not have uh, the the CFO or the controller being overly fussed about you know the nuances of uh, gap results and so on. It's it's more there's a there's a greater focus on the metrics around customer retention and metrics around uh, it, it's 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 a it's definitely more of an operational focus versus a a a focus on on controls and so on and so forth. So that's 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 the big difference between uh, between public and mm-hmm. and private. So if I had to get into an, thinking about what I would do with an early stage company and make sure that it's ready for going public. I think the key really is a couple of things. One is make sure that right from the beginning, you and your investors and in 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 your board and 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 the finance department is is really clear on the metrics that matter and what i mean by that is there is a temptation sometimes to overanalyze results uh, especially in that early stage life cycle of the company because uh, there's lots of saas metrics out there and there's lots of ways to splice and dice information and i'm not i'm not suggesting that's wrong or that should not be done but really the key is to distill through one's metrics and figure out what are the what are the 7 to 10 metrics that matter uh, and don't necessarily don't necessarily have to be the right. pure financial kind of metrics such as cash flow profitability uh, but it's really it's really important to focus on the metrics that matter because once you define the metrics that matter those then are the are, are the guidelines and the kpis by which you assess the business and then if one looks forward towards eventually going ipo uh, when you're out there telling your story you want to be you want to have that ability to tell, tell your story from the point of view of narrating your story from the lens of the metrics that matter to you for the purpose of running your business, not the metrics that would matter from the point of view of somebody else who's looking at your business from the outside. Uh, and this is important. Yeah. yeah, and this yeah, this is important because yeah. there there have been companies where for different reasons uh, they have started the process of articulating metrics which are used for the purpose of maybe an external audience, but not used internally. And the problem that happens there is eventually once you're public, if you're gonna throw a metric out there into your into your 10Qs and 10Ks on your external filings, and if you're articulating that metric purely for external reasons and not using it for the purposes of internal decision-making, 
the big big risk you run out there, you, you run is that if that metric goes south on you the street will hammer you for it and punish you for it and it and, and at that point it's a little too late to go out to the street and the analyst and say no 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 wait a minute but that's not something that we really look at what we look at is this particular metric well if well if if you were looking at this particular metric for the purpose of internal decision making that is a metric that matters and that is the metric that should have been in your 10q's and 10k's and not not the metric that you thought would have mattered to to the street i think that's a that's a great point that you raised there and and something that we've seen very recently in fact you know um recently apple uh said that they were not going to release um any right, metrics yeah. on yeah. iphone unit sales yeah. something that they've done for for a very long time and the street took that as a very uh, call it negative signal as to okay why aren't they going to uh include those is that because iphone unit sales are now going to be lower than where they were and and it leaves a lot of interpretation up to the street so i think that point uh, that you raised is is a very you know uh, apt and and timely one given what what we just uh, experienced a couple of weeks ago with with apple's announcement yeah no that's uh, that's a great example and and shobham the last thing i would say about the whole public versus private private is and i i think i'm in a little bit of a minority here having worked both in the public and the private space uh and i would come across as a bit of a traditional uh finance person here uh i i would i would argue that it's important to take gap in a gap in gap rules seriously and what i mean by that is uh don't ignore that stuff is is what i would say because once you're public that stuff matters uh and it's not a good strategy to start getting serious about your gap uh results just prior to going ipo and so on because what what really happens then is uh lots of companies who take that approach then have to go through a a significant level of of sometimes even restatement before they 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 go public uh, mm-hmm. and even if it's not restatement there there's a fair amount of expense just sort of getting yourself uh ready from a public company gap perspective and and my my commentary here really is to the extent you can embed within your culture that adherence to gap and in internal controls and so on and so forth that in and of it in and of itself has its own benefits which are good uh and, and sure. it just saves you a whole lot of hassle in terms of getting into public company residence late in the game that's a great point so what i'd like to do now is jump into our quick fire round and so the way this works is i'll ask you some questions and you'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each how does that sound that sounds great yeah that sounds a little stressful all right it sounds a little stressful but yeah <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's not as stressful as, as being a public company CFO. So uh, let's let's get into it. So, uh, what is your go-to online resource for all things startup finance related? Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I guess more than startup finance, but you know, there's a pretty uh, there's a fellow called David Skok S K O K. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I just find his writings tremendously educative in in illuminating from my perspective yeah great resource for sure for mm-hmm. entrepreneurs.com uh, and uh, what's your uh, favorite productivity hack and there's this concept of the middle way in buddhism where it's it's really a you're not you're not sort of moving towards either extreme on on anything uh and it's a it's a good steady way of approaching 
decisions. It's a considered way of approaching life. If I had to describe it, it's counterintuitively slowing down to go faster is, is how I would, would describe the approach. That's a great, great uh, way to think about it. What's one thing you don't leave the office before finishing? Uh, the, the last thing I do before I leave is almost sort of like a reverse to-do list. And it's uh, it just takes me five minutes. And I just quickly record what I did during the day. Uh, and the reason I find I found it really hugely useful is it, it helps it helps from the point of view of just giving yourself a very quick snapshot of this is this is what your day was like. This is where you were productive. This is where you were not productive. I, I would say that, that that's also a productivity yeah. hack in and of itself as well. What's uh, one tech jargon that makes you cringe? I've uh, I've heard the term disruptor or disruption a lot. Uh, what's the, what's the best advice you've received so far in your career? And he's he's actually CEO of Open Tech. And the the he had this in in meetings uh, he had this one concept that he would. Certainly, you know, he trained me on and I think he trained a lot of other people on is this concept of top three. What it is, is lots of people have lots of to-do lists and, you know, you walk in, you walk in Monday morning, you will always have a hundred things you have to do and, and, and so on and so forth. But always keep focusing on the top three. So I think it's Peter Drucker who said, uh, do first things first and sec- second things not at all. And which really means, yeah, which really means at any given point, Always focus on what is the most important thing. Don't think about anything else. That's really helpful and something that maybe I'll, I'll consider as well. Uh, great, Sujit. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate your time and it's been a fascinating chat discussing your experiences both as a private and public company finance leader as well as some of the challenges and opportunities that present itself within each. Uh, learning about the different uh, ways that uh, software has enhanced and improved the finance function over the years and, and your take on what it may take um, it going forward and in the future and how it may improve uh, the, the finance function. So I've really enjoyed this chat. Thanks again, Sajid. I really appreciate it. Uh, once again, Shubham, thank you for having me. I uh, really enjoyed being part of this show and uh, I really appreciate what, what you guys are doing at Backbone. Uh, well done. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye now.